You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation 19 in your Bibles. I uh, preached uh, Revelation 18. It took me two weeks to get through that. Of course, last Wednesday, Brother Gary was here, so we took a break. But I've been so excited about getting to Revelation chapter 19. And the reason for that is this. Revelation 18 was depressing. Revelation 18, it's a lot of doom and gloom and a lot of destruction. And and by the way, for us, it's good because we're on the right team. We're on the winning side. But for this world system, for for Babylon, the world system, the uh, religious system, the economic system, all of those come crashing down. One is destroyed by the Antichrist. Remember that, the religious system? The Antichrist turns on uh, that system and destroys that, that woman that we read about in Revelation 18 who represents the religions of the world. You say, well, what's the difference between uh, uh, Christianity and, and all the other religions of the world? It's a great question. It's a pretty simple answer. The religions of the world say that you have to do something in order to get to heaven. Christianity says you don't have to do anything because it's already been done for you. Jesus hung on a cross and said it is finished. He did all the work. All you have to do is be willing to receive the gift of eternal life. But the religions of the world, this is scary, Religions of the world, they're going to be active during the tribulation. They're going to be active during the time of the Antichrist. And they're going to to unite with the Antichrist. And you say, how can you have religion without Christ? Very easily. There's a lot of religions today that have left Jesus Christ out of the equation. And may God help us not to become so religious that we're so enamored with impressing people and we're so uh, wrapped up in our social standing and what does so-and-so think of us and what will so-and-so say about us but may we be so concerned with what God knows about us may we be concerned to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real and personal but we saw in Revelation 18 all the destruction Uh, we have seen the judgments, the seal judgments, uh, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, the vile judgments, all of those. And it has been really, really doom and gloom. But hallelujah, here we are tonight in Revelation 19. And this is the victory cry. This is the victory march. This is the pep rally for God's people because in Revelation 19, we see verse number one, And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. 
And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. Help us not to miss these truths that you have for us in your word. Lord, I pray that we would be open and receptive. I pray that our ears would be, uh, be, be listening. I pray that our hearts would be tuned to what the Holy Spirit of God has for us tonight. I pray you'd speak and work in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation 19, we find that God has won. Now, I'm glad we don't have to wait till this happens to find out how it's going to turn out. I'm glad we already know that God wins. I'm glad we know that Jesus Christ is victorious. The Bible says, uh, but thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory has already been won. Now, the victory, it's already been done. Uh, this, is just the, this is just the trophy presentation, okay? God has already won. He is, notice with me if you will, in uh, verse number six. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent. What does that mean? It means that he is all-powerful. It doesn't mean he has most of the power. It doesn't mean he has a lot of the power. It doesn't mean he has a little bit more than Satan has. It means all power belongs to God. He has all power. He is omnipotent. And it says in verse 6, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now that word reign uh, is the idea of sitting on a throne. That is the idea of he's wearing the crown. He has the scepter. He has the seal. He has all the authority. And it says not only that he will reign. This is not saying future tense somewhere along the line. Maybe, maybe God will get the throne back. Oh, no. This verse says that our God reigns right now. It is present. It, it, he, he always has. He always will. He's never given up the throne, and he's not going to do it today. He's not going to do it tomorrow. He'll never do it. He is on the throne, and he is king. Verse number seven, here it is. Let us be glad and, what's that next word, verse seven? Rejoice. I want you to mark that word. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. We're going to jump right into this uh, outline in chapter 19, number one. I want you to see the rejoicing of God's people. You see, God created us not to be depressed. Now, that's what sin does. That's what the flesh does. Uh, that's what circumstances will do. That's what Satan wants for your life. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to, to, to drag yourself through the day and drag yourself through the week. And then maybe, you know, maybe I can just make it till Friday. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you make it till Friday and guess what's coming? Monday morning's coming back, right? It's, it's just nonstop. And if you're only living for Friday or if you're only living for vacation, how many of you know that a week of work can seem like an eternity and a week of vacation can seem like 30 minutes. You know, it's like, where did that go? That was fast. And not only are vacations fast, but it's amazing how fast the money goes too, right? Not only time, but money. Here's what I'm saying. The Christian life was not intended for us to be miserable. The Christian life was not intended for us to suffer. 
and all oh, if we could just hold on till the end. And if we could just make it till Jesus comes, then when we get to heaven, we'll be happy. Well, of course we're going to be happy in heaven. Hello. But that's not what God intended. He didn't intend for you to wait till you get to heaven to be happy. He wanted you to be happy right now. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. We see number one, the rejoicing of God's people. As God's people, we have reason to rejoice. And I'm going to show you here uh, this evening from some scripture why we should rejoice. Uh, this is not a pep talk. This is not the power of positive thinking. I'm not here tonight to try to, to convince you of something that is not real or something that is not genuine. I'm telling you tonight, we have reason to rejoice. To rejoice is to experience joy. The word joy is a passion or emotion that is excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. How many in here, when you were in high school or college, how many of you played some kind of sports, like uh, organized sports for a team competitively? All right, good. So you know, I'm talking to you. The rest of you, I think you can relate. I think you can understand this. But when you're playing sports, can I tell you there's a whole lot of hard work. There's a whole lot of difficult practices. I've been talking to uh, uh, my girls about volleyball. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. They said, oh, dad, it was so hard. Oh, the, Miss Phyllis, you know where I'm going with this. Well, it gets better. It's so hard. I said, what do you mean it's so hard? Oh, we had to run. And Miss Michaela, I'm looking at you, okay? Said, we had to run. I said, oh, you poor things. How many of you remember when you were growing up and you had to run and the coach would make you run basically till you fell over? You know what I mean? None of this water break stuff. None of this mercy. None of this, oh, it's too hot. I think coaches delighted in that. I think it was like a badge of honor to say, I made somebody quit from the team. Brother Dan, I think we were talking about that the other day, your wrestling days. But I asked my girls, I said, how, how much did you have to run? I'm thinking, how bad could it be? He said, Dad, we had to run three. And I'm, I thought they were going to say miles. I thought it was going to be three miles. He said, we had to run three laps around the gym. And I'm thinking, I'm sending an email to that coach and saying, we got to step up the practices. Let me tell you, three laps. Are you kidding me? But I'll tell you what that did. I'll tell you what it did. It brought back memories to me of when I was in high school and my coaches were not as nice as our coach. Our, our coaches were not as, 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 as kind and compassionate as our coach. I had coaches that thought it was their job to make my life miserable. And by the way, they succeeded at their job. They did. Because we would run and run and run and run. And, and, and I'm serious. We would ask for water breaks. And if you asked for a water break, you had to run more. I mean, that would be outlawed today, I'm sure. But back then, oh, no, we're going to keep going. But here's the deal. Boy, you'd work hard and you'd put forth all that effort. You'd put forth all of that energy. You would do all of that. But you didn't do it for practice. You did it for the game. You did it so that when the game was over and you saw the scoreboard, you had more points on your side than the other team did on theirs, and you won the game. 
And then the games, you would add up those games because you wanted to win your conference. You wanted to be able to uh, win the conference uh, championship. Then you'd go to a tournament at the end, and you wanted to be able to win that tournament. And at the end of the tournament, they'd line up the teams, and they'd present those trophies. And you say, oh, I would have loved any trophy. Well, honestly, for me, I wasn't really interested in third-place trophy. I wasn't even really interested in second-place trophy. Now, it's better than nothing. Yes, I understand that. But, but why are we playing? Why are we working? Why are we doing all that? Because we want the first place. We want to win. We want to have that reward. And can I tell you, in the Christian life, we are serving, we are laboring. And I understand sometimes maybe you feel like, oh, if I could just make it through another day. But here's our motivation. We're not doing it for down here. You're not serving God just for what you see down here. We're serving God for what we're going to have up there. We're serving God for a judgment seat of Christ when we can receive crowns and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You say, what are we going to do with the crowns? Are we going to set them up on a, a shelf and have, uh, have them on display and we'll just brag and tell everybody how great we are? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I don't think those crowns are even going to stay in our hands very long. Because the Bible says in Revelation 4, we're going to cast our crowns before the throne and we're going to say, thou art worthy. God, you're the one that I did it for. Jesus, you're the one that I live for. You're the one that made it possible. And so we have reason to rejoice because there is an expectation of good. There is an expectation of victory. We know what is coming. And for the child of God, I want to tell you what's coming. It's a whole lot better than you and I could ever imagine. Paul said it like this to the church at Corinth. He said, our eye has not seen and our ear has not even heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. It is beyond our wildest dreams. It's beyond our expectation how great it's going to be. May God help us down here. May God help us right now to rejoice. I see, first of all, there's a command to rejoice. This passage says, let us be glad and rejoice. Philippians 4.4, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the Bible says, rejoice evermore. Now, if we're honest, sometimes we rejoice, but sometimes it's only when things are going good. Sometimes you, you, can, you can read it all over a person's face. If they had a good day at work, then they're happy. If they had a bad day at work, don't talk to them, right? Stay away. But friend, I want to tell you, that's not the way we determine joy. Joy is not based on our, our, our circumstances down here. Joy is based on the fact of the, that we're living for something that is better and something that is real and something that is eternal and something that is guaranteed. We know that we're on the winning side. We see there is a command to rejoice. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and this is the, the Sermon on the Mount, and we refer to these, uh, the, this list as the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 11, the Bible says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. 
You know what that means to revile? It means to taunt. It means to, when someone defames you, a defamation. Boy, I don't like to be reviled. But Jesus said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. I'm not much in favor of persecution. I'm not, we don't have a sign-up sheet in the lobby say, who'd like to experience persecution this week? Please sign up. I don't think we'd have too many sign-ups for that. Blessed are you, men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Wow, I wouldn't want to be on that list, but Jesus said that's the blessed list. Those are the people that can consider themselves blessed and that God is going to take care of you and you don't have to worry and you don't have to stress and you don't have to be discouraged. Verse number 12, rejoice. There it is again, the command. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Turn back with me, if you would, to the book of Habakkuk. If you go to uh, the book of Matthew and go back, I think it's about five books, you'll come to the book of Habakkuk. There's only three chapters, just a tiny little book at the end of the Old Testament. But notice Habakkuk chapter 3, verse number 17. Habakkuk is speaking to uh, the nation of Judah, And he says this in verse 17. He says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Can I summarize that verse for you? It's a lot of bad stuff happening. That's that's famine. That's no finances, no income. Uh, No crops, no animals. How are you going to survive? But Habakkuk says, even if all these things happen, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Notice verse 19. How do you rejoice when things are hard? How do you you rejoice when things are, are bad? Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. And then Habakkuk says this. This is to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. He said, this would actually be a good song. Let's try it out. Can I tell you, when you're having a bad day, that's not the time when you feel like singing. But that's probably the time you need to sing. When you're having a bad day, that's not the time you feel like praying, but it's probably when you need to be praying. Boy, you're having a terrible, awful day, and that's probably not the time you feel like reading the Bible. That's probably the very time you need it the most to read the Bible. We see the command to rejoice. We see the command to rejoice, but secondly, we see the choice to rejoice. Now, here's what's so amazing about rejoicing is I can't do it for you. You know how I know that? Because I have children. And I can tell them, I want to see a smile on that face. But I've seen some pretty plastered smiles. As a matter of fact, I've seen some pretty plastered frowns too, you know, and they're not going to smile no matter what. And we'll say, all right, we need to fix that attitude. Oh my, if it's not inside of you, if you don't make that choice to have a good attitude, I can't do it for you. How about this? Your spouse can't do it for you either. And I won't ask for you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many times you've been having a bad day and your spouse does everything they can 
to try to cheer you up and you refuse. No, I'm just going to sulk. I'm just going to pout. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to have my pity party. And if my own wife does not come to my pity party, so be it. I'll have it by myself, right? Your pastor can't do it for you. Your coworker can't do it for you. Your neighbor can't do it for you. You have to make the choice to rejoice. It's up to you. It's a command. You're going to obey or you're going to disobey, but it's up to you. Our joy does not come from our circumstances, but our joy comes from Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus came that our joy might be full. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've got some joy, but maybe it's running on E. You're on empty. Maybe some of you are on fumes. Maybe some of you are actually out. You're pushing your joy to try to get to the next fuel pump so you can get it filled up. Well, tonight would be a good night to get your joy filled up because I promise you, you're going to need it tomorrow. I promise you the devil's going to throw some things at you tomorrow that are going to try to deplete that supply of joy. Joy comes with salvation. Luke 10, the Bible says, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Joy comes with singing. All throughout the Bible, there's joy and rejoicing when we sing. Joy comes with serving. You got to try it. The happiest people in the whole world are people that are not uh, uh, self-seeking, but people that are serving others. Joy comes with suffering. Joy comes with sacrificing. Joy comes by anticipating the second coming. And then I see not only the command to rejoice, the choice to rejoice, but what's the consequence? What happens when you rejoice? Well, you say, well, I feel good inside. Well, that's part of it, but it's a whole lot more than that because the Bible says in the book of Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, sometimes why we don't have the strength to read our Bible or the strength to pray or the strength to serve God or the strength to, to be the, the husband or wife or to be the worker or to be the witness or, or what you fill in the blank. You know why we sometimes don't have that strength to do what's right? It's because we're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. But you get that joy filled up and the joy of the Lord gives you the strength to do what God has called us to do. Number one, I see in this passage the rejoicing of God's people. We have reason to rejoice. Turn back with me, if you would, to Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice. Notice verse number one. There was the great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. That word Alleluia is the word praise the Lord. And boy, I tell you, when we rejoice and we start praising the Lord, can I tell you, God is pleased with that. Then it says this, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Now, those are all things that, that, that God, uh, he has those things. God has honor. He has glory. He has power. But he loves it when his people acknowledge who he is and what he deserves. We see there's rejoicing going on in heaven. There is praise in heaven. Verse 3 again, they said, Alleluia. I love this, verse 4. At the end of the verse, they said, amen, Alleluia." What does that mean? Well, we say amen when we agree with something. 
And there's these, these four and 20 elders. Notice this in verse number uh, four. And the four beasts, they're worshiping God. And, and they hear all these voices shouting, Alleluia, and praise be to God. And these, these, these 24 elders, these four beasts, they say, we agree with that. Amen to that. You can say that again. Hey, we're on board with that. Amen. And then they start saying, Alleluia. You know what's interesting about praise? Praise is contagious. You start praising, somebody else is going to start praising. By the way, there's other things that are contagious too. Uh, like criticism is contagious. And gossip is contagious. And, 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 and being a downer, that can be contagious. But why not spread something good? Why not spread something like praise? Then we get to verse number five. And a voice came out of the throne. Praise our God. All ye his servants. Now hang on, look at verse number five. Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. You know, if we're going to praise God and if we are going to be his servants, I like what it says here, both small and great. Did you know it really, if you're serving God, it really doesn't matter the degree you have, really doesn't matter the education you have. It really doesn't matter the title you have. It really doesn't matter the geographical location you have. If you're serving God, can I tell you, we're all in this thing together, both small and great. It says, ye that fear him. One of the reasons we don't serve God like we should, I think sometimes, is because we first don't fear him like we should. I know I've said this, I've said this from this pulpit. I've, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. But fearing God is not trembling that I'm so scared that if I don't live right, God's gonna beat me over the head with a baseball bat. That's not, that's not a fear of God. A uh, fear of God is not, oh no, you know, I've not been living right, so I'm afraid lightning is going to strike. Now, now, God can do whatever he wants to, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that, that those things could not happen. I'm just saying this. That's not a proper fear of God. A proper fear of God is not being afraid of what God might do to you when you sin. A proper fear of God is being afraid of what our sin might do to God to hurt him. And when we get to a point where we love him, we fear him and we serve him. Can I tell you, it's going to make everything in life better. And you're going to find that rejoicing is a whole lot more natural. You say, I just don't understand. Some people are always so happy. I don't know what they must. They must not have any problems. <laughs> I guarantee you the happiest people I've ever met in life are some of the people that had the biggest problems. But they didn't let the problems determine their joy. They let Jesus be the one that determines their joy. And I want us today, and I want us tonight, and the days ahead, I want us to do our very best as Christians. Let's rejoice. I like what it says in Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let's leave out of here tonight. Let's be glad. Let's rejoice because we have the victory through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.